You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. Hi, guys. Good morning. I'm Jen, as Jonathan already said. And uh, I want to start off this morning by telling you about my family background a little bit when it comes to work. My grandpa was born during the Great Depressions, during the Great Depression in the 1930s, and it always colored the stories that he told us. I think it was also probably the reason why he saved every jar and can and piece of junk just in case we one day needed it, right? But when my grandpa met my grandma in high school, there was no question about what their futures would look like. They graduated, he went into the Navy, he fought in the Philippines during the Korean War, came back, married my grandma, and went to work as a meter reader for the electric company. And when he passed away from emphysema in his late 60s, he left my grandma with a really solid pension after working his way up the company ladder, despite the fact that he never had a degree. He retired as the director of a whole department with three kids and six grandkids, and he made some sound financial investments so that they were able to buy their dream car, a Lincoln Town car, and a brand new townhouse about a year before he passed away. And so my grandparents, they lived the American dream. Depression babies, war vets, high school sweethearts, homeowners, uh, a safe and secure family that loves each other. I mean, that's the model that I grew up with, and I'm very lucky, I realize. But these days, you know, we hear an awful lot about how the American dream is dead, or that maybe even it never really existed for most people anyway. Gone are the days in which you could count on starting at the bottom of a company and working your way up despite you know, not even having a college degree and trust that they would be loyal to you over the course of a 30-year career with benefits and a pension so that come 60 or 65, you can retire and be financially stable and travel the world and live out your golden years in bliss. Like, the world doesn't really seem to work that way anymore, does it? In fact, over the weekend, there was a statistic that just came out saying that 53% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, and that over 60% of American families today um, have both parents who are working. And yet, public policy and our workplace procedures have not caught up with these trends, and so we find ourselves struggling to sit in this kind of uncertain, shifting culture, right? Unsure of financial stability and career stability and ways to find meaningful work for our lives. And in a 2013 millennial job report, they found that only 30%, only 30% of the people who have jobs right now see their current positions as leading into a meaningful career path, which is really disappointing. You know, it's no wonder that we then see um, these trends of people who are moving on to farms for the first time, or going back to Main Street America and small towns, or even buying these tiny little houses and just living on the basics, because we're all just trying to find meaningful lives and meaningful work that we can do today, right now, not in our golden years, right? So what's left? What is left to motivate us in our work in this shifting, uncertain work culture? You know, I can see some of you guys nodding your heads, agreeing with this. Maybe you can relate to it, because maybe you are in a dead-end job that you're just lucky and grateful to have. You're keeping your head down and hoping that they don't fire you because there's a long line of people who would take your job. You know, maybe you have been underemployed or unemployed and lost for so long that your hardest work right now is just kind of pushing off the depression that creeps in as you wake up each morning. 
Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum and you have a job that you're really passionate about. In fact, it's like the number one priority in your life. It fills 40 to 60 to 80 hours of your week and kind of forms the core of your identity and you don't really know what you would do if you ever lost it. Here we are in this rhythms series, right? And we're talking about these divine rhythms, these spiritual disciplines that God has given us in order for us to grow into our most mature selves and to develop lives of meaning as his followers, right? We're talking about how to be mature in spirit, mature in um, relationships, mature in the word. And so what about work? How do we have this conversation about these mature and divine rhythms of work? Because so often... We split our work and our spiritual lives apart, right? Oftentimes, we think of God and our spiritual side as the thing that we do on the weekends and the space that we have on Sundays, and our professional and work lives are this thing that we do the other hours of the week. Oftentimes, it's kind of hard to allow God to merge in between those two things. And yet, I think because we have those, those separations, it causes more problems for us than we might realize, So this morning, I want us to go and look at the book of Colossians to find out what Paul has to offer us about this idea of work and this idea of integrated work, where we can allow God to be present in our work. And this letter in the New Testament, uh, Paul is trying to push a, a very clear agenda. He's trying to tell the people who make up this church in Colossae that their lives matter and that they matter because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so... You should know that Colossae is this little nothing town in the country, and the towns around it are kind of starting to grow and prosper, but Colossae is kind of stagnant, and their spiritual lives are kind of stagnant too. The church here was mostly made up of Gentiles, so they didn't have a real strong like, theological foundation to, to kind of grow this new religion off of. So they were kind of fallen by the wayside. Some of them were starting to worship angels as if they were God, or they were falling to the pressures of the temple Jews who were telling them things like, you gotta be circumcised if you want God to love you. And you know, maybe some of us can kind of um, relate to those pressures of another culture, hopefully not the circumcision thing. But um, this is the situation for the people in Colossae. So Paul wanted them to know that Jesus is everything. Jesus is the foundation that everything else is built on. If you've got him, you've got it all because he is the full representation of God and he is present in them and through them and because of that, their lives and their work and the things that they choose to do with their time and the ways in which they love and and relate to each other and the world as inconsequential and as small as they might feel about it at times, these things are incredibly important and have meaning and matter in God's kingdom. And I think Paul says that pretty clearly in the verses that Jonathan read for us. He says, all things were created through him, through Jesus Christ, and for him. He existed before all things, and all things are held together in him. So the author, Doug Paget, um, he wrote the book Flipped. He says it this way. From the start of the Jesus story, the early followers of Jesus were trying to live beyond the idea that God is in some places, but not in other places, in some people, but not in other people, in some times in our lives, but not in other times. Rather, all that exists, exists in God. All things are held together in God. All of creation is being reconciled or seeking to live harmoniously with God. And I would add, in right standing with all other things in creation as well. Let that idea sink in for a second. That's really incredibly important, and I really believe in this, this idea that God is not some 
heavenly creature sitting up in the clouds looking down at us and playing Legos or something, but that he is present and dwells inside of creation, inside of each one of us, and he is present in and through all the things we do. And there is incredible freedom in that. Freedom in our work and freedom in the way that we build relationships to know that God lives and breathes inside of us and every good and beautiful life-giving thing that we could do. I mean, that's really great news. So thanks, Paul. But how does that help us figure out our work, right, in this culture that we live in, these challenges that we face today? I think it helps a little bit if we look at the culture of the people of Colossae that Paul is trying to address. Lately, I've really been getting into studying the differences between the Hebrew and the Greek cultures and kind of the different impact they can have on how you interpret scripture. So you should know that the people of Israel at this time, they're um, living as a vassal state in the Roman Empire. And so they are struggling with this um, Greek culture as well, okay? And the Greek culture, or the Hellenistic culture, as you might have heard it called, they really emphasize individualism, much like our Western culture still does. And they also um, really valued the contemplative life. So you had guys like Aristotle, we've heard of him, right? that we're living this life of leisure and contemplation. Meanwhile, the lower socioeconomic classes and the slaves, they were doing all the hard manual labor to make society run. And while the Jews during this time, they also valued the contemplative life and time spent with God, they held a different view of work, and one that was more based in kind of a communal view of humanity, not just the individual, but the whole community, okay? So work, even the menial, manual labor, it held value in their eyes because it was part of God's purposes in creation. So if we go back to the creation story in the very first chapter of Genesis, we get this beautiful Hebrew poem where we see God, you know, creating and designing the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and livestock and beautiful plants. And I mean, we can look around nature and just see how much our God um, values creativity and design, right? And that he's really good at it too. And as you read through this poem, you see this phrase over and over again, and God saw that it was good. Seven times you read that phrase, and God saw that it was good. He'd make something, and he'd go, that was good, right? And then he gets to the part where um, he makes human beings, and it's a little different. In that part, he says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God goes on to bless the human beings that he just made in his image. He tells them to be fruitful and to increase in number, to fill the earth and to subdue it, rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground, okay? Basically, what is he saying here? All this stuff that I made, be like me. Please go and take care of it. Work, get into the ground and create things and design and be like your, like your creator. That is what he made us human beings for, to work. And this is at the very foundation of these Hebrew beliefs about work. So, it's no wonder that now here's Paul writing to his fellow Christians, right, and telling them to remember that God is present in all time and all space because he created all of it. So any life-giving, um, loving, generous act of reconciliation that we do is one that's coming from a divine spirit. It's one that's breathed and blessed by our God. And so he talks about not just the manual labor done in the fields, but even the work that we do as wives, 
as husbands, as slaves and masters, whatever context you find yourself in with your relationships. It's blessed by God and valued by him when it creates harmony and righteousness amongst his creation. Makes sense, right? Well, this stuff makes a whole lot of sense to Paul because he knew that while Jesus may have called his 12 disciples away from their ordinary occupations to a higher calling, he didn't make that a blanket call for all of his followers. And in fact, in the book of Acts, there's this reference to Paul himself continuing in his everyday occupation. He, was, he had the trade of a tent maker, actually. And so he'd make tents during the week and lead churches on the weekend, or something like that. And uh, continuing in your everyday occupation, that was a routine thing for these early early Christians of the church. So in this short little book of Colossians, Paul is encouraging them to remember in whatever work they do, that with, do it with all your heart, with sincerity and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, he says, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, the one who exists in and through all things, and do it so well that others notice why and for whom you work. So I was thinking about this and these early Christians, and I read this um, these secular letters from the second century that scholars have uncovered, it was pretty cool because in these letters, you can see the author writing about the Christians in his town. And he's talking about how they are ordinary and yet extraordinary, that they live among the culture of the world, but they subscribe to a higher culture and they clearly serve a higher master. And, and he can see this in these their pagan neighbors are all starting to notice that there's something different about the way they work and the way they live and live in relationship with each other. And so they start to question, what is this truth? What is this faith that's fueling the way that you live? Maybe they are seeing some of the fruit that Paul talks to them about, generosity, kindness, gentleness, humility, the products of loving people generously, right? What it looks like to allow God to be present in and through you. And so this picture that we get, I imagine, is one where these early Christians who are new to this faith, who are still figuring it all out, right? Who are still trying to get used to the rhythms of, of what it means to live in life with God. They're kind of working out their holiness amongst their ordinary, everyday lives. And I love that, this idea of just trying to figure it out. Because clearly they, they did figure something out, because in just a couple of centuries, they radically changed the world. And as I'm thinking about this image and, and examples of this in our modern world, I've got this kind of cheesy example to share with you guys. Um, do you ever watch HGTV? <laughs> yeah. So this show, Fixer Upper, just started streaming on Netflix. And my husband and I have been watching it. And after a couple of ep episodes, I turned to him and I was like, oh, these people are Christian. You could just tell. Like the, the family, the uh, husband and wife who host the show, um, there's something about the way that they use their language, um, something about the way that they uh, embrace their family through their work, and especially how they embrace hospitality in the houses that they fix up, and um, just in the way that they offer hospitality to their clients, the way in which they treat their construction workers and their employees. There was something about it that told me that Christ was present in their lives. In fact, that he was even at the center of their lives and how they do business and family. And so about a week after I had this conversation with my husband, uh, this article pops up on Facebook, that's from Relevant Magazine. It's a Christian magazine, if you guys don't know it. And it's the wife, the co-host from this show, and she's giving her testimony about how she gave her dreams and her career over to God, and it's grown into this incredible thing that she never could have imagined on her own. Now she finds herself kind of evangelizing to people through the show, but here's the thing. This is what's cool about it. Not once do they ever use the words Jesus, God, or church. And they did that intentionally, but yet still, 
though they're not actually being blunt about it and you know, trying to, to um, share their faith directly and talk about Jesus on the air, still, people are asking questions. People are asking, what is this truth that you live by? Where is this faith that's fueling how you do life? And I imagine that's exactly what the early Christians were experiencing back in the second century. So the question for us today, I think, is how are you like the early Christians? How do your daily work rhythms allow the presence of Christ to be seen and felt by others around you? You know, this is a whole lot easier said than done. The whole reason why we're having this rhythms series is to acknowledge that these rhythms are really hard to embrace. You know, you, you gotta discipline yourself to embrace the rhythm of prayer and of scripture. And so, of course, you have to discipline yourself to allow God to be present within your work, your career, right? This struggle is real, these two selves that we have. I mean, we live in this culture where, that is founded on the idea of the separation between church and state. Is it any wonder why we struggle so much with this separation within ourselves even? And this um, separation is actually, it has its roots in the early church as well. Because by the third century, these Western ideas of... Um, embracing a higher calling have really kind of sunk in. This individualistic culture has kind of sunk into the church. And soon you start to see that's how we get monks and priests and uh, monasteries, that you have to go into this spiritual life in order to, to give your whole life to God, that you can't just do it in your ordinary work days. And I hear that struggle sometimes through some of us as well in conversations that I have with our church. People who feel like, oh, I really want to give my life to God, and so maybe that means I need to travel the world as a missionary, or I need to do full-time ministry, or even I need to go work for a nonprofit. And maybe that's true. Maybe that's exactly where God is calling you. But I can't help but wonder if maybe he needs his people just as much in the commercial industries and amongst the greediest corners of Wall Street or you know, in the most polluted parts of the fashion industry or in the places where human dignity is being stripped because of the global food economy. Maybe he needs us there pushing out the darkness and holding his presence even more than he needs us working for the church. You know, I don't know, I can't help but think about these things. And this, this separation that became such a huge part of church culture for so many centuries, it didn't, it didn't kind of start to get reformed until Martin Luther and John Calvin and people like that came along with the Reformation in the 16th century. And they said radical things like this. This is what Luther said. I kind of love this. He says, Therefore, I advise no one to enter any religious order or the priesthood. Indeed, I advise everyone against it unless he is forearmed with this knowledge and understands that the work of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they may be, do not differ one whit, do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or of the woman going about her household tasks, but that all works are measured before God by faith alone. As in everything we do, when, when Christ's presence is acknowledged in it through faith, all of it matters. All of it contributes to building his kingdom here on earth. And so, you know, as I'm thinking about this, the question still is, how do we do it? How do we allow God's presence into our work lives? I don't want this to be one of those messages where then you all feel like you're supposed to go take your colleague out to lunch and tell them your story of how you came to believe in Jesus. You've heard that message before, right? Maybe there are some rhythms or um, some impulses that we can honor that God gave us that would better help us to understand how to allow him to be present in our work. 
And I was having this conversation with a friend a couple weeks ago, and he identified three impulses that he sees in our modern work culture. And I think uh, this works really well because it actually lines up with these impulses that I think God gave us through creation. So first up, the first impulse is that we want to be creators. No surprise there, right? We want to create things just like the God whose image we bear. We want to create and design and make um, beautiful things, God-giving, life-giving things in our world, right? And then our second impulse is to be empathizers, which I think is essentially saying, I want to understand the situation that I'm in. I want to understand what I've caused. I want to live inside of another person's experience and not just my own little limited worldview. I want to have a, a, you know, a, a broad sense of experiences in the world. And I think that's speaking into our impulse, that realization that we all live connected to each other in harmony. We're called to live in harmony with each other. So if the work that I'm doing is hurting someone on the other side of the world, that, that affects all of us. And this impulse to empathize is, I think, a recognition that we are all one. We're created to be in one, in and through our Lord and Savior. And so finally, I think the third impulse that kind of fuels all the others is this idea of being meaning makers, that we want to have meaningful lives and we want them to be um, meaningful right now. And the ways that we make meaning in our lives might differ for all of us. When we asked that question earlier, I'm sure nobody in this room had the same answer about what was a meaningful moment in your life this week. And so I love that because this is giving us this idea that no matter what kind of work we do, whether it's paid or unpaid, whether it's appreciated or completely undervalued by the world. It is appreciated and valued by our God who is present in and through all of it. And so maybe if we start to embrace these impulses and realize where these impulses are at work in our lives, then we might start to find some healthier rhythms and might start to find how we can allow God to be present or how he's already present through the work that we do. And so I want to celebrate this, okay? This is the fun part. Over the last couple of weeks, I have been reaching out to random people within our community and asking them to send me photos of their work, okay? Ideally, the work that is most meaningful to you, or to send me a picture of your workspace or the ways in which you um, spend most of your time working throughout the week. And so I got a whole bunch of photos. A lot of them, interestingly, involve computers, which I think says something about our modern work culture, right? Um, but it was even more fun for me to get these photos from you guys and which could, you can go ahead and start putting them up, uh, to get these photos and to get the little captions and the little stories that came along with it. So I kind of got to get a little glimpse of, of what your work days look like and where you feel appreciated or overwhelmed. And it was really fun. And I asked you guys as well to tell me your titles, which I thought was really interesting. So you could either give me your title or you could give me um, the title that you think best reflects the meaningful work that you do. And so some of my favorites, well, first, I realized how many of you guys are designers. Um, a lot of our church is a designer of something. Um, and that might mean designing houses where families will grow up and, and flourish or designing books that will spur on creative ideas in our world. And I love that. They're all the different things that we can design and create in our world, right? Uh, for others, I got really creative titles, like this is my favorite, Morgan, who uh, is singing on the stage with us today. She sent me a picture of the latte she was making as a barista that day, and she told me that her title was Creator of Music, Lattes, and Relationships, which I love because I met Morgan in a cafe where she was really great at building relationships with the people who walked in her doors, and now she makes music with us on our stage as a result. Pretty great, right? Love it. 
And then there's Melissa, who told me that her title is Counselor, Mediator, Manager, Referee, Leader, Mentor, Daytime Parent, Lifesaver, Coach, Role Model, in a word, she's a teacher. Which I think is something to celebrate, too. All these little things that we do and the ways that we lift people up and give life to those around us that maybe aren't summarized in our job title, or maybe even aren't summarized in the work that we do nine to five, right? Maybe some of you guys are sitting here kind of seething right now because you don't have a job that you're proud of. Or maybe you're so underemployed or unemployed and you have been for so long that your daily work is literally just trying to get out of bed and get motivated to send out one resume or to go for a walk or whatever it is that you're struggling with in your life right now. And if that's you, I want to acknowledge that I see you and I understand how hard that is and what a hard conversation it can be to talk about work in our city. I get it. I totally do. And I want to acknowledge, too, that even in the small things that you accomplish each day, that God is present in those things as well. Whether you are paid or unpaid, whether they define you or not, which I hope they don't. And I think of my friend Paula, who has been unemployed for some time now and how that unemployment has really caused a shift in her life and the way, um, the place that she can afford to live and um, just how much she seeks and wishes that she could be put to, to use with a structured job. That's all she wants. She just wants to work and to honor this impulse that God gave her. And yet, because of health reasons and just economic reasons, she struggles to find consistent work. And yet, Paula is a person who I feel the presence of Christ in more than 95% of the other people I know. Because every time that I talk to Paula, she is, is fighting to stay close to Christ. She is just trying to keep the light and push out the darkness. And you hear it in the ways in which she, she embraces me with love every time I talk to her and encouragement and support. I see it in the ways in which she serves and loves on people. Um, I see it in the way in which her neighbors trust her and ask her for help in, in the low-income housing that she lives in. All of these things, I see how alive and present God is through Paula. And it's incredible and real, and she's doing incredible things despite the fact that she doesn't have a nine-to-five to define her like the rest of us New Yorkers, right? So maybe for you, maybe you're a finance guy who works 60 hours a week, but the real ways in which you embrace these impulses are to create and to empathize with your three beautiful daughters that you're helping to raise every night of the week, right? Or maybe for you, um, the ways in which you make meaning in your life are not from this nine to five that you work. You don't feel supported there. It's just a job. But maybe it provides benefits and it pays the rent so that you can support your spouse to do what she flourishes in and to watch her grow into her most, most mature self in this season of life. Or maybe you're in a season of life where you are a stay-at-home parent and you get to, to see the divine every morning when you wake up and take care of your precious child who's truly starting to build a foundation where Christ is at the center of everything. So let's celebrate this, these rhythms that we already have, the ways in which Christ is already present in every bit of work that we do. And let's try to acknowledge it a little bit more and um, usher in the light instead to put these two halves that we struggle with in our culture, to put them back together and to embrace these rhythms we've been talking about. So I brought up this little, my, my little book, Seeking God's Face, which we've talked about uh, a few weeks now. But this is just a great daily rhythm of prayer and scripture reading. 
And I think it, it starts here. This idea of allowing God to be present in your work starts out with allowing his word and um, his voice to be present in your life. So when we start to, to embrace these rhythms, we'll be surprised at how sometimes uh, those ry- rhythms overlap and speak directly into your life at the times when you need them most. So last week, on Tuesday, I think it was, as I was trying to write this message on work, uh, the whole page of Seeking God's Face was devoted towards work. So um, so I wanted us to close out by reading that prayer aloud that I think the Spirit is kind of speaking into our community today. And so will you guys stand and pray with me and we're going to say these words aloud. Everlasting God, I shop for pleasure, looking to consume happiness. I hustle for meaning, striving to make a difference. But the more I consume, the less I enjoy. And the harder I work, the more life slips out of my reach. Help me understand the simple truth that none of my work or worry, nor any of life's pleasures, does any good without your blessing. Amen.